Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello everyone, Rick Martinez and for Don Curtis on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. And we got one of the big shots here in North Carolina. His name's James Trogdon. He is the Secretary of Transportation. So you ought to think of him every time you get on the freeway or a state road. He, this is the guy that's responsible for keeping it maintained and safe. And uh, Secretary, I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Rick. I assume the roads were in great shape when you came in here. Yeah? Uh, everyone we drove on was. <laughs> That's good to know. First of all, uh, tell us just exactly what the the, uh, secre- the Department of Transportation oversees. And first of all, like how many roads do you all have to uh, take care of? We have about 80,000 miles of roads. That's about 1,100 miles of interstate, 1,500 miles of uh, U.S. and North Carolina primary roads, mm-hmm. and then the remainder, 60 plus thousand miles are secondary roads so we're one of about four states in the nation that maintain almost all the roads in the state with the exception of those within cities and towns how would that rank uh, like on uh, the top second 50? largest second largest transportation uh state maintained transportation system in the nation just a few hundred miles behind texas behind texas yes. okay and you'll probably overtake them before you know it um now with regard to, you know, there's other things that you do. I used to work in the airport business, and I know DOT uh, had uh, runs that as well. Tell us about the aviation well, side. Well, in our aviation department, so we have division of highways, we have aviation division, we have public transportation, we have ferries. Aviation specifically uh, is focused on running flight ops for us. We do a lot of um, aerial photography for our engineering mm. projects as well as some passenger service. Uh, and then they also are responsible for supporting 72 general aviation airports across the state, as well as we are now providing support and grants to our commercial service airports for the first time uh, in history starting a few years ago. Wow, that's, you know, that, that's a pretty much a big deal. And, and I guess, you know, uh, when you say general aviation uh, airports, uh, those are airports that are probably quite important to rural North Carolina. They Well, they are, both rural and urban. So what happens is, and I can give you examples, way out in Franklin, North Carolina, there's a general aviation airport that's the only one in the county used by a lot of private small aircraft mm-hmm. that, that do both supporting commercial uh, transport as well as bringing freight in and out. Uh, Concord in North Carolina is a general aviation airport right outside of Charlotte that does a tremendous job. It's very busy. That's a big deal airport. That's a big airport, Uh, but it is general aviation. Um, And so from, there's a, there's a large scale between just the small local, you know, with a couple of planes. Now uh, it's fairly important. Those planes typically bring a lot of revenue to the counties. Uh, and so mm-hmm. all the counties mm-hmm. really appreciate uh, having that general aviation capability. You said a couple of years ago you started uh, supporting the big commercial airports like Raleigh-Durham, Charlotte, uh, Piedmont. Yes. Tell me about that. Uh, decision made by the by the General Assembly. We've got to start investing in these. Most of those were um, what I would call self-funded through their own revenue yeah. sources mm-hmm. as well as eligible for some federal funds. The federal funds were starting to decline and get more competitive. And so how do you keep your commercial airports, which is one of the strongest parts of our economy in North Carolina, how do we keep them viable? So you see Charlotte Douglas is doing a lot of expansion there. Mm -hmm. Raleigh-Durham 
is expanding as well. The, just an article a few days ago about how important it is to replace some of the taxiway and runway yep. and prepare for a new runway mm-hmm. to support the growth there. Uh, because if your airport's not growing, then your economy's not growing. And I guess the other thing, too, is, is that some folks just think of uh, the big airports in terms of getting on an airplane and going from here to there. But I guess Piedmont would be a great example of just how the the corporate side of uh, of uh, of expansion uh, – Piedmont's doing a lot of good in the, yes. in the business, FedEx, particularly in Honda Jet. Yeah, Piedmont Triad is a great example. They have um, – um, Heco there, which does uh, aircraft retrofits mm-hmm. uh, and upgrades. It's a garage, folks. It's a garage yeah. for airplanes, basically. Yes, yeah. and uh, they have Honda Jet, which manufactures uh, a small jet that's the leader in its industry in yeah, its sector. Yeah, that's a pretty cool jet. Uh, they have FedEx there, both air and ground. So about half the traffic going in and out of PTI is not commercial service. It's freight. It's other mm-hmm. business going in and out of PTI. So a great example on how not all the airports are the same, and each of them provide a unique capability for North Carolina. Are you guys going to get into the drone business one way or We're another? already in the drone business. Tell me about that. So uh, there's uh, there's nine locations in the United States that was selected for the uh, FAA integration pilot program, what's called the IPP. North Carolina was one of three states. We're focused on three different areas. The first one is how to develop a flight management system that could uh, deconflict unmanned aerial system or drones from manned aircraft. In other words, the today's flight management system is only focused on manned aircraft, mm-hmm. but as there's going to be more and more conflict between dr- drones and manned aircraft, we need a flight management system that will help with both. What do your experts tell so, you about the potentials of drones? It's huge. It's growing exponentially. Um, I I don't have the latest number, but about Mm -hmm. five years ago, we had zero commercial drones registered in North Carolina, and I believe that number now is in the 35,000 range. Wow. Just in five years. So you can almost anticipate that trajectory to stay about the same, and it'll increase at those same rates moving forward. Tremendous amount of capability. Two other areas that we're working with drones uh, to test one is we were the first in the nation to deliver medical supplies to Wake Med using drones mm-hmm. with our private partners. And then the other area that we're working on, which will occur this summer in Holly Springs, uh, food delivery from, from local restaurants to locations using drone delivery now, is in one Holly of, Springs. Is one of your responsibilities going to be to, to keep everybody out of everybody's way? Well, that's what our aviation department does is we are the ones who certify all commercial licenses. So when you get your uh, commercial license to use a drone, it comes through us. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that is teaching all of our partners with the commercial license, how are you going to manage, what's the restrictions, uh, how do you comply, and then as we develop this flight management system, how that would work. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting uh, area uh, down the road because I think most people think of a drone as these little itty-bitty things that you could probably put on your kitchen table, but they're getting bigger and more sophisticated and powerful, and then uh, it's going to be your all's headache yes. <laughs> as, 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 time, as time goes on. The other thing that you all do is uh, that I think maybe most people don't really think about much is the ports. Tell us about uh, the management of the ports. First of all, how many do we have? 
Well, we have one port authority with mm-hmm. two ports, uh, the Port of Wilmington and the Port of Moorhead, and a great team down there. Um, I think it was three or four years ago for the first time North Carolina started investing in its ports. Mm-hmm. So we now invest for capital growth. Uh, the ports has had a really, really good strategy on what needs to be done there from lengthening the berths to adding more post-Panamax cranes, the larger yeah. cranes to service mm-hmm. the big ships, turning basin improvements so you can turn the big ships. So in five years, we've gone from being able to manage or handle about a four to a 5,000 TEU ship, TEU is 20-foot mm-hmm. equivalent container, 4,000 container ship, to now we're handling 12 and moving to 14,000 container ships that are coming through the, the upgraded uh, uh, Panama Canal. So being much more competitive, uh, we're growing the traffic there, both container and uh, bulk freight. Uh, so really good plan on how to grow the port. The port is important because it supports all the international commerce mm-hmm. coming into North Carolina. Um, is it tough sometimes? I mean, do you get good support in the General Assembly? Because, you know, you got to uh, go down there, knock on their door and say, hey, we need money to improve our ports. And I can't remember the last uh, – uh, legislator said, "Vote for me because I'm going to improve the turning radius for ships down at uh, Wilmington." Yeah, that's not the best selling point. <laughs> the selling point is what does it do for North Carolina's economy? So, uh-huh. uh, I have found transportation is one of those issues where we get really good bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. The question is, uh, what is the plan? What's the strategy? Are you going to produce that? And can you convince folks that's the right strategy? Uh, but wonderful uh, support for transportation. Really, people only disagree in, you know, the techniques or at the tactical level, uh, there's more conflict. But, you know, supporting transportation across our state, urban, rural, Democrat, Republican, independent, all of those, everyone understands the need for transportation and how it supports our economy. What's going on with the Global Trans Park? The Global Trans Park has, uh, we've done a $55 million expansion there for Spirit Aviation, which Mm -hmm. is good. Spirit is our largest tenant. There's about 1,500 employees uh, there at GTP. Uh, We've just announced the growth of another 145 with a company called Jetstream Aviation, which is going to be another one of those that do sophisticated painting uh, and upgrades to aircraft. Uh, So good growth there. It's tremendously important to Lenore County and that region. The, mm. the jobs there are, are very important, much, much higher than the eastern North Carolina average. Uh, and its focus uh, is on aviation. So once again, we have another facility just like we have at GTP uh, with that kind of focus on how do we maintain strong relevance in aviation and aviation support. Now, with the Global Transpark, you know, the way it was sold back, goodness gracious, I think I want to say in the 80s or 90s, it was going to be the super-duper uh, uh, port or just-in-time yeah. and all, all kinds of uh, uh, concepts that really never came to fruition and so forth. But is uh, is, 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 go- is growth going to come to uh, a Global Transpark just like, uh, for example, uh, Dulles Airport was stuck in the middle of nowhere. Now it's a big deal airport. Uh, I just uh, Williams. Uh, there's an airport in in Arizona where there was an abandoned Air Force base, and they put a lot of money, and not a heck of a lot happened. Right. Now it's beginning to to churn. Is that what you you see with Global Transpark? 
Well, you, and you gave a good example on through history from the conception of the Global Trans Park. Initially, it was going to be a freight handling yeah. facility. That didn't work out. Matter of fact, FedEx chose Greensboro. That's right. Uh, and yeah. so that growth still came to North Carolina. Wonderful. Just it was not at the Global Trans Park. So then over time, the focus became, well, what else could be relevant there? And the, the move that is seeing success is how do we get companies focused on aircraft manufacturing, maintenance, repair, and operations? That's where the growth is, and we, we anticipate that will continue. Mm -hmm. Well, that's right. In fact, the uh, Paris Air Show is going on right now. They're yeah. selling a lot of airplanes. Boeing thinks that there's going to be a huge demand for airplanes. they got to get fixed somewhere, so why not go Global Transport? And huh? Spirit, the, the anchor there is a great example. They manufacture components for Airbus and for Boeing. Oh, really? Yes. So the fuselage used on some of the Airbus uh, planes mm -hmm. are all manufactured there at GTP. Okay, uh, and uh, lastly, tell us about the ferries, which um, I don't, you know, unless you're on the coast, you really don't know, but they're rather, one, they're rather significant, and two, they're not cheap to run. No. Uh, we have the second largest ferry system in the nation as well, just behind Washington State, 21 vessels, seven routes, 21 vessels providing uh, ferry capacity, other mm -hmm. supporting. Uh, we just started the first passenger uh, service only from Hatteras Island down to Ocracoke. Um, so seeing growth there and seeing a lot of interest in how that will help uh, with Ocracoke. Um, it's critical in eastern North Carolina. Uh, there's large bodies of water from the Pamlico Sound, uh, you know, um, up in the Outer Banks and Currituck and those areas. The, the, the road network drive around alternative is sometimes yeah. 30, 40, 80, yeah. 100 miles yeah. uh, to drive around, so ferries are critical to supporting the economy in that area and will continue to be. We're talking with uh, James Trogan. He is the Secretary of Transportation, and we'll continue this conversation here on Carolina Newsmakers. Thank you for keeping our country free. I'm happy you looked out for our country. It seems we are all more aware of what service to our country really means. Does anyone know what a veteran is? You must be brave to go in the Army. Now it is possible to say thank you directly to America's veterans. Just log on to thankyouveterans.org, select an e-card, and send a personal message of thanks. Please know that you will be in my prayers always. I wanted to do something to let them know how I feel. I'm glad to say I'm an American because of you. There are 26 million veterans living in America, from World War II to Afghanistan in Iraq. Let a veteran or someone in the military know you appreciate their service. Visit thankyouveterans.org, a public service of Paralyzed Veterans of America. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. With uh, We are with the Secretary of Transportation, James Trognan. And uh, he uh, did an excellent job telling us of all the things that he's got to worry about every day when he uh, uh, goes to work and uh, goes home. Uh, quite a scope. But let's talk about roads because everybody uses a road just about every day. It's critical to our economy and all of that. You said 80,000 miles that you've got to deal with and such. Uh, how do you keep it up? And uh, how do you determine where you're going to build new roads? Well, uh, great question. Um, and 80,000 miles uh, uh, People say, well, what does that look like? Uh, 
the best example I can give you is that's uh, seven trips around the earth. No kidding. Is 80,000 no. miles uh, or 180 lane miles. So it's basically a partnership and teamwork. Uh, first, we have a fairly sophisticated formula uh, called the Strategic Transportation Investments Law mm -hmm. on how we look at pro candidate projects uh, to build. And each of those are evaluated based on certain criteria. And then a benefit cost is uh, calculated and they're programmed based on how high they score. Um, and so th that's been since 2013, a competitive process for project selection. Mm -hmm. As we manage and we do that in conjunction with uh, what we call uh, our metropolitan planning organizations and our rural planning organizations. So think of local government partnerships. Uh, and we work, so we work with them on how do we identify where the needs are and what projects should be considered. How we own and operate the 80,000 miles is we do it with 14 divisions across the state. Um, and each division has about 400 employees and they cover anything from six to 13 counties uh, per division. And those, uh, those personnel work with local government, contractors, um, uh, advisors, engineering firms, uh, and we both maintain, operate, improve uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, that's so an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decent challenge. That's, that's an important part of this division system because I think most folks say, it's like, okay, you know, I got a problem here in, in, in my county and so forth. We got to go to Raleigh and get, get uh, work. No, you, there's, those divisions actually have quite a bit of autonomy to get things done at the local level instead of everybody right. having to bang on your door. No, and, and we're one of the few state agencies that have employees in every single county in this state. Mm -hmm. So we have employees all the way down to the county maintenance facility. Um, so your first, if it's a maintenance uh, issue, uh, drainage, litter, dead animals, first thing you do is you call your county maintenance engineer and say, hey, let him know this is what's happening. Um, a division may have 6,000 miles of roads and 12 to 1400 bridges uh, and a county uh, may have you know about 800 five to 800 miles in a county so mm -hmm. that county engineer still has a lot of responsibility with you know his 35 to 40 employees um, you know 500 miles of roads 600 miles of roads he's got his hands full every day trying to make sure Every road is operational. Every road is safe. Every road is well maintained. Yeah, one of the things that uh, you worry about uh, at night is is one of them funding because you know I, I know one of your uh, predecessors, Tony Tata, who everybody yeah. you know knows was a big deal uh, general, and he's on Fox News talking about you know general stuff and so forth, but. Uh, he was also Secretary of Transportation, and he was always complaining about, I need a lot of money to, to maintain this roads. Are, are you getting the funding? And I, at that point in time, he was complaining about some bottlenecks in the federal government and so forth. But how, do we, how are we standing as far as uh, you know, funding to at least maintain what we have? Well, uh, annually, I've got a $5 billion budget. Uh, 4.2 of that or $4 billion of that is really state funds and then another – 1.1, uh, 5.2 total. Um, so as far as other states in comparison, uh, you know, at the, at, the, at the gross level, it looks pretty good. The mm -hmm. challenge is because our system is so big at the dollars per mile, uh, we're probably in the bottom third. So no we kidding. have to really be more efficient in how we spend our dollars. Uh, and that's one of the things we've been working on. 
but funding today, it's it's like a lot of things in government. You know, um, there's always a case you can build for more. The question is, are you finding the right balance to achieve the right levels of service for at the right taxing level? Uh, and so we work with the General Assembly closely on that every single year. The, so the big challenge isn't where it is today. The big challenge is where is it going to be in 10 years. Mm -hmm. So the challenge that I see is we're heavily dependent on motor fuels tax. Yeah, 50, gas tax. 57% yeah. of our revenue comes from both state and federal gas tax. Um, and we also see that over the next 10 years, there's going to be a strong move to electric vehicles, yeah. connected, autonomous uh, that that will not even use drivers. Mm -hmm. It'll be driverless, just like unmanned aerial systems, um, and that could have a significant impact on our revenue moving forward. Mm. So uh, we try to find the right balance today on new capacity, operations, and maintenance. The big challenge I have today is funding disasters, which is extremely hard. And, Tell me about and that. That's a that's a growing challenge. Um, but a, a great example is uh, last year, Hurricane Florence, Hurricane Michael. Uh, most people don't realize the scope of all those storms, but uh, you know, from September through February, we spent almost $300 million in both responding to Florence, Michael, two snowstorms, mudslides in both the, the almost all the western counties 59 roads closed due mudslides in the western counties mm, wow uh the worst rain we've had in in my memory in 27 years i think 71 inches from july yeah, through the end right. of the year yeah. um so all of those are a challenge and right now i can take that out of our general maintenance reserve so if i spend 300 million on disasters my general maintenance reserve annually is only 310 which means I don't maintain roads. That's right. Yeah. So finding that balance has been a challenge. And so we're working on new strategies because historically that number was only costing us $65 million a year. From no 2004 kidding. to 2016, the average was $65 million a year. From 2017 to now, the average is $210 million a year. We're, <laughs> wow. we're, we're looking really hard at how do we come up with a better mechanism. Part of that we ultimately get reimbursed by – Federal Highway and FEMA, mm -hmm. but that time frame usually takes two to three years. Wow! So that's one of the things we're working on right now. So I guess you guys pay attention to the hurricane reports. We that come pay out. close <laughs> attention to all the hurricane reports. Yeah. Okay, one of the things I really want to hit uh, is your public outreach, because I don't know if people really understand how good it is, uh, and. Uh, I guess you all put on some sort of uh, seminars uh, for improvements you were going to make on Capitol Boulevard, which I use every day. So I showed up. I was very impressed. One, you got a lot of people there to answer questions, which is great. No waiting in line uh, for you know your local expert. A lot of presentations. Now, is that just showbiz, or do you actually take uh, you know some of the input from regular people and say, hey, if you do that, that's going to cause this, and why don't you look at another way of doing this? No, we, we do. We take it from – we love input. Um, a, as you guys know, um, you know, transportation touches everyone. And every citizen out there has a different expectation on a, on a new facility, uh, whether they're one who just drives through it or one who lives next to it. There's different expectations on what that facility is going to do. So 
part of our normal public engagement process, as you mentioned, is having local public meetings mm-hmm. for input. That that has worked well historically, and we've, as you said, kind of got that down to a science on how do you do that. The real question is, uh, and that a great example I'd use is I'm sampling about 1% of the population when yeah. I do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're looking at how do we expand new techniques, so primarily social media. So today we can geofence a project, mm-hmm. which is a virtual fence around a project. As you drive through it, uh, sometime that evening when you pull up your browser, you'll get a pop-up message saying you drove through – We'd love to show you what we're considering on this project. Really? Here's what the needs are. Here's some of the alternatives. You can comment any way uh, that you want to and not have to attend the public meeting. Really? And we're, we hope that will increase our sample size for even more input from the 1% to hopefully you know, 50, 60, or 70% of the people that use facilities. I think the first location we did that was – I five or I440 widening at Meredith College. Yeah. Uh between Meredith and the University mm-hmm. uh, Club. Um where we were having tremendous concerns about some of the Oh yeah. Um, yeah, Meredith the Meredith folks had their hair on fire some of the things I, you wanted to I think to do. uh losing 20% of their parking was a, <laughs> a substantial shock and so they voiced those concerns. Yeah. Um, and we listened, compressed that design, you know, got, got Meredith's uh, concurrence on our, our, our proposal that will be built now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things we did was we said, how can we use social media to help with this, too? Because there's a lot of people who drive 440 who may not even know about a local public meeting, who may not have time to attend a public meeting. There's probably 100,000 people who drive that facility every day. Wow. So when we use social media and geofencing, I, I think we got – about a million hits, roughly, and wow. uh, you know, over a long weekend or, mm-hmm. and almost a week, um, and then not as many people comment and all the way click all the way through and actually leave comments, but at least you're giving more people an opportunity to say, "Here's what I think is important." And yes, all of those are great ideas because, as you know, and I'm an engineer of 27 years. You know, sometimes we look at a project purely from an engineering perspective. No kidding. <laughs> and the actual people that use it or live there may have a relevant concern or a relevant perspective that we really didn't consider. And so any of those ideas are wonderful, and we love to take them. Because our idea, our goal ultimately is to build projects that people need, want, and will use. Mm-hmm. So if you don't need it, comment. If you don't want it, comment. And if you're not going to use it, comment. All of those things help, help us. Help, help, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, uh, I used to work in state government, and uh, a budget director, his name was Lee Roberts, I'll never forget what he said when he went on to start this big deal uh, fund that he uh, went. He said, I wish people knew just how dedicated the average state employee uh, is. Now, he was talking in the budget department, how dedicated is the uh, transportation worker that uh, that we um Uh, have working on our behalf well a great example there's two a great example is uh following hurricane florence we had 3,400 locations where roads were damaged about 2,400 roads closed in total 1,600 at the peak of the storm wow um 
within three months we had a vast majority of those open and by february of this uh this year we had all of them open uh and i'm i don't remember a time where we've ever been able to respond that quickly Mm -hmm. but and it's not just our employees we're using also contract help and others to do that because it takes a team yeah but um uh, a wonderful example is every time you see a snow uh (laughs) our employees are out there working 14 18 hours on a shift uh to make sure those roads are open as quickly as possible to get the snow out because everyone knows in north carolina when you shut down mobility you shut down the economy so if you shut down mobility because of a snow for five days uh that's less economic opportunity that's economy that you're losing yeah yeah Uh, and so that's our job is to make sure our economy moves and they move on roads, and they move on transit, and they move in the air, and we support all of those. Our guest has been uh, Secretary of Transportation for the state of North Carolina, James Trogdon. Mr. Trogdon, this has been fun. Thank you so much for taking uh, time and speaking to the people of North Carolina. Thank you, Rick. And uh, next week, uh, Don Curtis will be back on uh, a new edition of Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.